Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to Business of Design episode 169, Start with the End in Mind. We're talking to an awesome interior design professional, Nicole McGuire. Start with the End in Mind. Isn't that what we do as designers? Clients come to us with a vision of what they want to create, which is an end product or a goal, and then we reverse engineer the whole design process to reach that goal. Sometimes clients will articulate their goals with photos or, or an image that they love. Sometimes, though, it's just a description, right? I want a space that's warm and inviting, casual, bright, sunny. And it's our job then to solidify that ideal and deliver on the client vision. Nicole McGuire has a design, build, furnish business model. And with 14 years experience, she's learned a lot about What is a male-dominated business in terms of home building, at least? During the episode, Nicole mentions that she's seen a segregation for far too many years of women sidelined as the air quote designer and men managing the construction site. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Nicole was born into the industry. She's a legacy, and uh, she'll tell you about that, and she'll talk about working with her father. And I agree with her in this. There is absolutely nothing in my mind like being on a job site and leading the charge. I love that part of the work. And of course, there are advantages to taking the lead on a project. And there are also risks. But if you step foot on any job site, if you advise any client, there are risks. So sign me up for Controlled Risk where I know the trades and I can speak to their reputation and I know we are going to work together as a team to solve whatever problems come up. That's a situation where I can do my best work, where I can be profitable, satisfied, and really importantly, satisfy customers who keep coming back to me for more. I love also that Nicole says one of the downsides of this male-dominated building industry are communities of beige builders' homes. We've all seen them, that's for sure. Sounds to me like women in particular need to step up and be builders. Think about that. Why not? Earning very high profit margins. And you can imagine a scenario as a builder where clients aren't asking you to provide original invoices for every single thing they purchase. Oh, exactly how much did that drywall cost, right? There's a certain mystique left if you take on the entire build process. So imagine a scenario instead where you're in charge of building homes or building developments, and then one of your revenue streams is interior design and decorating. That's what Nicole's business model offers. When they furnish, they use furniture that they've purchased from another arm of the company and sell that back to the builder. In other words, markup is 100% at your discretion at that point. Interesting consideration, right? Separate your design and renovation business from furnishings legally, and you virtually eliminate the markup markdown issue. It's similar to a number of architects that we coach at Business of Design. Architects aren't legally allowed to sell products, so many of them are opening up a design business that's separate from the architecture business. And then the architect contracts the design business 
to furnish. Not only is there nothing wrong with being profitable, you have an obligation to be profitable if you are running a business. Otherwise, we all know it's safer to work for somebody else and just collect that paycheck. Lots of good stuff to talk about on the show today. I will also mention we are starting Business of Design five-phase recovery program. It's free with your membership. Join us. It begins Thursday, 1 p.m. EST. If you have to miss a couple of the webinars, not to worry. Everything is recorded and you can watch it inside your membership. Just make sure you register so we know to send you the link. And speaking of recordings, if you did participate in Business of Design Bootcamp, or maybe you didn't, the recording is available as part of your Business of Design membership, but it will expire on July 1st. There is no fee if you are a member to participate in Bootcamp, but again, we will retire that course on July 1st. So make sure you make time for that between now and July 1st. And for those of you thinking adding packages to your current service offerings is a good idea. I agree with you. Now more than ever, it's a wonderful time to introduce easy to buy packages to clients who may be reluctant to hire us with an open-ended contract. So on May 29th, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m., Business of Design is offering interior design packages. I will show you how to build a package, what should be in it, what shouldn't be in it, how to price it, how to use packages to entice consumers who might be reluctant to make purchases at this particular time in history. I used packages very effectively in 2008, 2009. I've learned a lot since then. Important to tell you as well, there is a fee to participate, $295. You will leave knowing how to build a package, how to price your packages. And this is a big deal. I'm going to be giving away the contract I use for packages. $295 gets you all of that. May 29th, 1 to 3 p.m. If you attend a Business of Designs conference in January of 2020, you get a deep discount on this webinar because about 60% of what I'm going to be teaching is a repeat with 40% being expanded and added to. And of course, getting my contract is a bump, 40% bump right there. So we've got lots of people signed up already who attended Business of Design's conference in January. Thank you so much. We've got new people signed up who weren't at Business of Design's conference in January. Thank you so much. We appreciate your support. We have a lot of work to do in the industry and in terms of helping our community, and your support allows us to do that. We are very grateful. For all the questions, go to the smartest person at Business of Design, Cheryl at businessofdesign.com or businessofdesign.com to find the information. Thanks, everybody. And thank you so much to those who have reached out in gratitude. So many of you are saying that you're in really great shape because you've already implemented the systems and strategies you need. And I'm grateful to have you in my life. I'm grateful to have you in my ear as I'm working on my interior design business at the same time as you are. Looking forward to see what the next chapter will reveal. Got to admit, I'm getting a little eager, a little anxious to get the next chapter going, but soon enough. Thanks for being here. And now let me tell you about Nicole. 
Nicole was raised in a home-building family. In fact, when she describes her dad, I defy you not to get all feely about it. She said he passed away two years and two months ago, and he was very important in her life, and it sounds like just such a special, beautiful relationship, and you can tell. After college, Nicole actually partnered with her father, so she had on-the-job training and someone experienced and wise to have her back, and that is really a nice way to come up in the industry for sure. Together, they wanted to begin a new venture. They wanted to build spec homes and eventually create custom homes with curated design pieces, which Nicole now has under the McGuire Home Collection. She's also studying sustainable business strategy at Harvard University because she wants to grow her business by social and environmental sustainability standards. You can visit Nicole at themaguirehomecollection.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Maguire Home Collection. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. Annual members save two months. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Nicole, how are you? I am doing great, Kimberly. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Please tell me how life is in Illinois and how everybody is faring near you. Everybody is doing well. I do have a house full of teenagers, three teenagers in the house and three animals. So um, it's getting a little crowded, but everyone is healthy and doing well. (laughs) Oh, that sounds nice to be surrounded. I know I've whined about this a fair bit, but both of my children are grown. And so I don't get to see them as much. And I kind of wish they were, you know, quarantining with me. Um, But I'm sure it has challenges. So uh, thank you for taking time to do this. It's quiet wherever you are. So I don't know what you've done to them but it's quite effective. Well, they are teenagers and they are still sleeping. So let's just uh, count our blessings for the next hour. Okay, perfect, perfect. So Nicole, you and I have a lot in common. We both do everything on projects, build, design, design, build, and furnish. And we thought it would be a great idea to tackle the problem that we're running into in so many states, which is licensing. And I understand in the state of Illinois, you don't have that issue. So tell us about the rules to be a general contractor where you are. Right. Illinois is one of 13 states that doesn't require that licensing. Um, And especially where we are uh, in the middle of the state, so south of Chicago, we have not run into issues in working with the contractors here locally. I do know that uh, in the city of Chicago and outskirts uh, in the suburbs, they do run into some issues and want to... uh, make sure that the municipalities are managing what designers are doing and how much project management they're doing on site. So I see, I see both sides of it. There's a benefit to the licensing, but then there are also challenges that come from it once it's implemented in our state. 
So explain to me in terms of licensing, I understand benefits of licensing to make sure the people are working in your home have integrity and they're qualified to do the job. So that I fully, of course, we all agree. The part that I think sounds right like a more difficult sell is this. If I'm a private homeowner and I decide to hire a plumber and an electrician and a tiler to do my bathroom, I can do that. I know nothing about building I know nothing about workflow. I know nothing about the industry of renovation, and yet I can do that with impunity. However, in many states, I can't, as a homeowner, hire an interior design professional who's built 50 homes, who knows those trades well, to manage those people. And that, to me, seems kind of insane. And yet, one by one, every state is coming on board in terms of preventing interior design professionals from being the project manager. Why is that? Or why do you think that is? Right. Well, we all know that that piece of paper, that license, isn't isn't an example of the integrity. Like you, you're saying, these designers and project managers and contractors have years and years of experience. Just because they have that license doesn't mean that they're qualified. Um, I see states wanting to mandate that. Again, it's another revenue source for the states. I hate to say that's the only reason because it's not. Um, they do want to protect constituents. And I see um, I see a lot of senators right now wanting to protect their communities in which, you know, mostly the older population wanting to protect them from shady contractors or shady designers who are going to come in and take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. That's a, a really legitimate concern. In my experience, and maybe I'm Maybe I'm so biased I can't see this correctly. Correctly, I know many examples of shady contractors. I know far fewer examples of shady interior design professionals because most design professionals I agree. don't do the building. Uh, but contractors have a habit of creating a new, com- a new company with every single project they take on and leaving a trail of destruction in some cases behind them. So I think there are definitely problems. I'm just not sure the solution is fixing the actual problem. And you and I, I guess, are not going to solve that today. So let's focus on you know, your life and how you feel empowered by being able to project manage and Specifically, what do you think would be removed from you if you were not able to be the lead on the project? Well, as you know, our company started and I started as a general contractor building custom homes in our area 14 years ago. So um, we didn't I didn't have any issues with that. Since then, we have grown and evolved, specifically at my direction, uh, bringing on a design team, certified designers, making sure that I bring them on, train them how to be project managers as well. Because there are a lot of designers who are, I mean, so talented, sitting at a desk or working in a corporate situation where they're picking colors, they're picking uh, furnishings for a home, but they've never gone out and implemented. And I want to bring those women into my company under our brand and teach them to be on site and train uh, or or to to lead on site. If um, If you hire someone who's an interior design professional and they go on a job site as a project manager, are they not are they allowed to do that if they're not the general contractor or because the contractor has hired them, it's an okay, then it's okay? So the way that we work is we are the general contractor. We are the designer because we, oh, I own all of those companies. So we are everything. We are everything start to finish. 
Okay, so I want to just be really clear on this. If I get my general contractor's license and I have an interior mm-hmm. designer who goes on a job site as the project manager, she's okay to do that because I'm her overseeing her. I'm responsible for her. That I don't know because we don't have that in the state of Illinois. Right. Okay. Wow. One of the solutions we suggest uh, to people who really want to do the build is to get your contractor's license. Just get your license. There's amazing things you're going to learn from becoming a contractor and then you're covered. It creates some different problems in terms of being able to collect deposits. Yes. I would encourage all women to get their contractor's license and project management license, uh, even if they're a designer, because we've seen the segregation in this industry for many, many years that that women are the designers and the men are the ones leading the construction sites. And that that's not the case, or I don't want to see that continue to be the case because women have extreme talents outside of picking colors or the quote unquote decorating word that we hear so often on the job sites uh, from the men. And Women are extremely talented at making sure every detail is touched in a construction job. I think that's really great advice. And more and more, I think that's the way we're going to have to go. Some places, it's very difficult to get your contractor's license. And other places, it's just a, you know, give us a check and, you know, fill out a form kind of thing. So it's worth looking into. One of the reasons people are afraid to do it, Nicole, is because of the liability. Can you speak to your feeling about that? There's a tremendous amount of liability, Kimberly, and that is something that weighs on me heavily every single day because as as the general contractor uh, and bringing the design team on board as well, every bit of the liability sits on me, whether I'm bringing a plumber in, um, an HVAC guy coming in, the tile guy, as you've mentioned, every single one of them and their work, I have to guarantee. Not only do I have to warrant it, guarantee it, but if they do mess up, that liability comes back on me. Yeah. I'm in a position where I think I would rather have that liability and responsibility and make the money and have control over who those trades are than I would be to just show up as the interior design professional with random trades I don't know who may or may not be good, who may or may not make a huge mistake. And if that mistake results in some kind of a lawsuit, I will be sued anyway, but I will have no money to protect myself. Right. And no control of who those contractors are that were hired in the first place. Right. I think that's one of the issues that pops up too when we were talking about homeowners and wanting to take the lead on their own project. Um, We're exposing ourselves as designers to that liability as well. Because like you mentioned, if the plumber messes up, we will be sued. But again, the homeowner was the one making the decision on who was hired on the project. Right. So encouraging homeowners to let us take lead as project manager, show them the value in that, um, that gives them or gives us better control of the contractors who will be working on in their home. Yeah, good point. And how fast do you think you would be thrown under the bus by a homeowner in the event something goes wrong? I mean, you know, integrity being what it is these days, uh, I think it would happen pretty fast. It would make your head spin. The other thing I think, you know, we're bringing up a gender-specific issue, and the reality is I think growing up, and I went to university in the 80s, um, I thought 
the gender divide was much smaller than I now believe it is. And you bring up this example of, well, the the construction side is typically the guys and the decorating side is typically the girls. There's a huge difference between how much money those two teams usually make. And it shouldn't be. Right. So there's a lot of money to be made if you're willing to come over to that general contractor side that you just cannot make on the other side. There's a lot of money to be made and there's a lot of risk, which we just outlined. And and I can say that I sat on the Home Builders Association Board of Directors for 10 years and I was the only female at the table for that entire 10 year period. And I just came off in 2018. So this is fairly recent. Um, We welcome women in the industry and that is my main mission with the McGuire movement right now is to make sure that, that we expand and bring women into the, not only the construction trades, but the leadership roles uh, within construction in residential construction in our country. Amen. I love that. In all of our countries, by the way, it's time for well, us yes, to stop. Absolutely. It, yeah, it's time for us to stop accept, accepting the divide that's been handed to us and say, wait a minute, you know, the money is where the paperwork is and the money is where the risk is. That's the truth. So uh, it really the money is where the risk is. Yeah. Nicole, you mentioned that you actually started in construction. How did you find yourself interested or working in the interior design side or the decorating side? Kimberly, I came into the industry 14 years ago working with my father who had been building for 40 years. And he was a true contractor. He loved to be on site doing the, the work and he would move from one house to the next. And I watched the industry evolve and change a bit. And he wasn't able to change with it because he didn't have the business experience. So I came into the industry um, to help him with the business side of it. So we formed a partnership. And thankfully, he, he always had my back on site. He went, he had me on the job sites every single day. And when I would lead the guys, if they even had a question and would go back and ask my father, he would say, if Nicole asked you to do it, then that's exactly what needs to happen. And so I couldn't ask for better training, uh, physically being there and better support from anybody as I was learning over the years. But as we evolved and grew building more and more homes, I started to know and notice in our area that it was it was all men building homes. I was watching beige box communities go up left and right, uh, homes with very little character. And I said, this is how we can differentiate ourselves. We have to find this niche market that costs a little bit more than everybody else, but has better design. Um, We have better architectural features in each home so we can set ourselves apart. And that is what defined our success and helped us grow exponentially. So I recognized within about a year of being in the industry that we had to have a design team and and design professionals on board to work with the customers that were coming in through our door. 
with that being said, it, gave, it was another revenue source as well. So not only were we constructing the homes, we were making money on selling the products back to ourselves. So having the design team and being able to set up the design studio uh, where clients would come in and pick all of their materials with us, it was another revenue source for us to sell the products back to ourselves and sell them back to each one of our projects. Um, once we realized then that we were spending a lot of money on home furnishings, because our clients come to us with a picture, they, they bring, you know, 14, 10, 14 years ago, they were bringing us a magazine picture, but now they bring us a Pinterest board or mm -hmm. Instagram pictures. And they, they bring that picture because they like the feeling that that space creates. And so what we noticed is, hey, we need to start with the end in mind. If the clients are bringing us a picture of this gorgeous family room with a, with a kitchen, and that's where they can see their family growing and spending time, then we need to work backwards uh, from that. So what we do is we look at that picture, okay, talk to the client. What, what feelings do you have? You know, is it comfort? Is it... Um, coziness. I mean, some people really want the, the tighter spaces because they want their family to be close together. Understanding what it is that they like about the picture, aside from the color, the, um, the texture of the materials. Then again, we work backwards, go start from the architectural phase. I work with all of our clients and start with just chicken scratch, almost on a napkin, uh, you know, drawing it out on a piece of paper. Then we work through the architect architectural drawings, construct the home, sell all of the materials back, the finished materials back, and then now the home furnishings. Again, another revenue source, but we have control of what that finished product looks like um, with the furnishings in the home as well. And it's so satisfying, isn't it, to be able to start with that end in mind and know that you're going to get there because you have control over everything along the way. I think the tragedy... All of the for, details. Yeah, the tragedy for so many designers is they start with the end in mind, but if you don't have control of your trades, it's not going to look like that at the end. And so they're left with finished projects that don't feel satisfying and finished projects they don't want to photograph for their website. And in many cases, no repeat and no referral customers. So it's almost like an all-in game, I think, if you're really going to, if you're really going to make a dent, it's almost all-in. <laughs> Yes. And it's yesterday I was meeting with a client. Uh, and again, it was the pre-architectural phase. And I tried to explain to her that the way the home was drawn in the the magazine article that she had, had torn out and she liked the way the house looked. I said, it is not going to look like that when it's completed. And this is why. And I think without that control, again, she would have walked into a home that somebody else constructed and asked me to come in. And, you know, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. I hate, but that's what we have to do sometimes as designers when we're working with a space that's already constructed. That is the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me what a double bottom line is? I don't know what a double bottom line is. And you had mentioned that in your application Ooh, form. Yes. So a double bottom line is not only making money, but then there's also that passion and the fulfillment. And that's what I call a double bottom line. It's when you watch the, a family walk into their home and you feel that joy and you know that you created that space. So that 
that feeling, that's what I want to duplicate with women um, in the McGuire movement. So yes, I have to continue constructing homes, selling materials. I have to continue making money so I can, so I can bring women into the industry, write training programs, um, education programs, to make this happen. So that's the double bottom line. The satisfaction is it is when I watch one of the designers from my office do their first entire project start to finish where they are the project manager, the designer, the furniture designer, and, and seeing their clients happy. Again, that joy that I feel, that's the double bottom line. Well, far too often, I think we have a single bottom line that includes being happy we were helpful, but doesn't include the profitability. And I think you have an obligation to be profitable if you're going to run a business. Otherwise, don't run a business, work for someone else. Yes. And you'll be profitable. Um, But to have a hobby that has risk and liability... Um, which I guess lots of hobbies do. If you, if you like bungee jumping, I think there's risk and liability. (laughs) Uh, I I think there's better hobbies, I guess. I'll leave it at that. I think there's better hobbies. I love that you're serious about the industry. I love that you want to empower females. I think we might be in a really good position to see some big changes in the industry in terms of women stepping up and taking ownership and taking the lead you know, maybe out of necessity or maybe just out of opportunity. But I think the road ahead is looking pretty good in that regard. I agree. And I can't say that uh, women won't have obstacles or challenges, but I encourage anybody who is saying, you know what, I'm going to take that next step. Just keep going one foot in front of the other. And as those challenges and obstacles come up, step over them and continue working forward because we all have to keep moving in that direction together. Let me ask you a couple of uh, time-relevant questions. I don't normally ask people, but we're going through this pandemic. Uh, The economy is doing somersaults and flip-flops, and we don't really know what's happening. Are you going to lower your fees in order to entice customers to work with you? We are not lowering our fees, and we have decided to not offer any discounts. It was something that we had considered a few weeks ago and opted not to, and our phone is still ringing, and we do still have jobs coming in. So at this point, we're going to to maintain our pricing structure and uh, keep moving forward. Good. I'm happy to hear that. That's great. Everybody heard that. You are not obligated to have a fire sale. You are not obligated to introduce services you don't want to do. Hold steady and take those clients who are right for you and those projects that are right for you. This is a time for all of us to to develop our portfolio as well. And you made a good point that we don't have to evolve into other areas of the business that we wouldn't have otherwise grown into. Well, and I think it's a really important distinction, the work that you do privately and the work you do publicly. So if you're getting um, calls to do a service that you don't normally do, but you want to do the cash flow, you want it for cash flow, or you just want to see if it's fun because you've never done it before, that's one thing. Do it, go for it, see what happens. You don't have to transform your website to suddenly include that service. See how it goes. Give it some time. Don't jump in wholeheartedly. I think there's work you do and there's work you pursue. I pursue jobs that belong to my ideal clients, those ideal projects. Uh, But sometimes there's work I do because I think, oh, she's so lovely and she wants us to decorate her house for Christmas and we've got an opening. Let's just do it. 
Yes, that, I, I really like how you said that, work you do and work you pursue. And I have to say, selfishly, we thought, well, this is an opportunity for us to put our furniture in another home for a different backdrop for photographs. Uh, and from there, it turned out so well that the uh, <laughs> that the calls kept coming in for more staging. So uh, maybe it's right now currently something we do. And as time goes on, it may become something we pursue. Excellent. All right. Every show ends with something we call design intervention. Just great words of advice to the community listening. Kimberly, I think it's really important for us to create a cognitive bias with our customers and the consumers. Have them interact with our brand, uh, your brand, your projects, everything that you have going on prior to them calling you. I know that we have a lot of clients who say they followed us on Facebook or Instagram or have been following our projects in the community for years before they placed that call to us. They already feel like they are a part of our brand. And that's what a cognitive bias is. If they feel like they are a part of something prior to hiring you as the designer or the general contractor, they are more likely to engage in a positive way throughout the entire process. And once the project is done, they feel more ownership of it. And they're more likely to give positive referrals after the project is done. Okay, so that is a really good news for people who like to do newsletters or post on social media, that all of those touch points people have with your brand before they ever hire you can come in handy later. So there is merit to keeping your face out there. Yes, and any type of interaction through technology that you can use, a before and after. I know on our website, we have technology that allows clients to scan uh, left and right and see a, a full picture of what a room looked like prior to us going in and then scan all the way to the right and see what it looked like finished. And the more they play with tools like that, if you have just one or two on your website, okay, that makes a, a small impact. But when you give them 20, 30, 40 projects to look at where they're engaging and they feel like they understand your style and your brand, they're more likely to engage in a positive way. Great advice. I love this, Nicole. Stay healthy, stay powerful. I love uh, everything you're excited and um, passionate about and how much you're fired up to help the industry. Thank you so much for today. Yes. Thank you, Kimberly, for having me join you. Thank you for being a part of the Business of Design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, a free introductory course which includes three Business of Design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a Business of Design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.